Welcome to the David McQueen Show, a weekly podcast where through insights and interviews, I explore what good leadership looks like for businesses and non-profit organizations. My main aim is to keep the podcast long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to create interest. So sit back and enjoy this episode of the David McQueen Show. Welcome to episode 16. And I am truly, truly excited. This is the first of the interviews of my new series or my new season. And without further ado, let's just jump straight into it. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this next episode. And I am delighted to have as my guest on the podcast today, uh, an old friend of mine, um, who uh, a handsome bugger for his age. Um, I'm sure he will be able <laughs> to explain who he is. So I'll pass it over to him. Who are you, please? Can you introduce yourself to my guests? Uh, yes, indeed, I am handsome. Uh, my name is uh, Liam Black, uh, and I am 57, uh, grandfather, um, and have been very fortunate in my career to have been involved in some really interesting uh, organizations and to have fallen amongst some really interesting uh, people during my uh, career. So I was for 15 years a uh, uh, CEO of a couple of really interesting businesses, one in Liverpool. Uh, called the Furniture Resource Centre, which in the sort of late 80s and 90s was seen as one of the pioneering social entrepreneur-led businesses in the UK, moving from a, an old-fashioned sort of fundraise model to an earned income model. Uh, I left there uh, in the sort of uh, early 2000s and came down to London and took over the reins uh, of Jamie Oliver's uh, 15 uh, restaurant, which and I had about uh, four years as the, at the helm of that. And then about 10 years ago, well, about exactly 10 years ago, created a business called Wavelength uh, with two mates of mine and have spent the last decade uh, working with the most amazingly eclectic and diverse uh, range of leaders all over the world from Mohammed Yunus and the Grameen Bank in uh, Bangladesh through to Mark Andreessen running Andreessen Horowitz uh, in, Silicon, in Silicon Valley and pretty much every other company um, in between. And we ran... Uh, leadership programs and study tours and masterclasses uh, for li- hundreds and hundreds um, of leaders. Uh, we ran a cross-subsidy business model, which enabled leaders from the non-profit world to take part in our programs as uh, as peers mm-hmm. uh, with their uh, opposite numbers in the corporate sector. So really interesting uh, uh, career, uh, which I've been very fortunate to have. And I exited that business on December the 31st last year. Mm-hmm. So as you speak to me now uh, and listen to me now, I'm six weeks into my new life, yep. uh, uh, where I'm thinking about what my the next 10 years of my career uh, will look like. So I'm doing some coaching. I'm very involved in impact investing. There's two funds that I've helped create, and we're seeing whether we can spend find ways of spending 150 million quid in interesting ways on innovation in the UK um, uh, and beyond. And I'm uh, uh, shopping around at the moment to find a couple of interesting chairman roles in interesting organizations doing interesting stuff. So I've got a sort of blended portfolio life at the moment that I'm feeling my way into. But if there's any thread that's kind of held quite a disparate, odd, in some ways, career together, it has been an interest in leadership, no bullshit uh, sort of involvement with trying to create some, you know, value um, in the world. So yeah. that's what okay. I do. But but the most important thing in my life is my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And as we speak, um, I'm expecting a call uh, to. I may have to break off from this wisdom to take a call from Homerton Hospital with granddaughter or grandson number two arriving. Mm-hmm. So that's me. 
no, fantastic. If we need to do that, we will pause it. We will come back. Time. <laughs> Much as I love you. Yes, it's all good. I understand. I take my. Pl- I, I know my place in the roster. I know where I am. <laughs> Number 47,000 up the line. I know where I am. It's all good. There we go. Um, so one of the things that drew me to you was, um, obviously, I, I remember back in the day I had heard about the work that you had done at 15. Um, it was quite, um, you were one of those, um, what you call the banner names within the um, uh, leadership and social enterprise space because unlike so many others in that space, you just didn't have much time, like myself, for bullshit. And you were very straightforward. What do you think it is that has shaped the way you see leadership in whatever organization? What, what are the things that have influenced that kind of attitude that you have that you just do not take any bullshit? And by the way, you're allowed to swear on my podcast, it's fine. Okay. Uh, uh, long as my mum doesn't hear it. Um, I, I, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I've always, I remember being asked years and years ago uh, when uh, uh, a long gone magazine was created, would, would I do a column? Uh, and I said, yes, so long as I can be fairly direct. Yeah. And I created a thing called a Letter to a Young Social Entrepreneur, which was a a sort of uh, a, a, a letter that began every time, Dear Jude, the Catholic patron saint of lost causes, which no one ever picked up apart from me. One of those jokes that no one else gets. They've got it now, I can tell you that. I, I see. And, um, and I always thought, if, I, if, I'm, if I've got a platform to speak, then I want to speak on behalf of um, those people who are actually um, doing the work, yeah. not intermediaries, not politicians, who, who all have their role. And that if I had a voice, I wanted that voice to be one that called out bullshit, that spoke about the contradictions, that spoke about the anxieties, that spoke about the challenges of trying to lead anything, Mm. uh, whether it's a small um, social enterprise or whether it's a a multinational business. And I don't know where the roots of that are. I mean, I come from an Irish Catholic working class background where bluntness um, was uh, a life skill you had to develop very early on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe that, maybe I, I've carried that through, but I've always had a, a real antipathy towards, you know, um, euphemism or dressing things up or pretending stuff is other than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there had, there's a lot of that, as you well know, in social entrepreneurship. And there's a yeah. lot of that in the leadership development um, industry. And, yeah. uh, I've tried to puncture that wherever I can and also to, you know, try, try and speak the truth um, as I see it. And, you know, so far so good. There seem to be enough people that are interested in, you know, direct honesty about the challenges as well as the opportunities of leadership. Yeah. It's very interesting. I don't think I've ever told you this, but a number of years ago I did. I've, so I've got this speech called A Room Full of White Men. And effectively, it's... I'm a, in a room full of white men. <laughs> no, a room, not in a room. <laughs> it's, it's, called, it's, it's provocatively titled A Room Full of White Men. And the whole concept is about how do we get organisations and leaders to be more embracing in their culture without doing the tick spot exercise around diversity and inclusion, which a lot of people do. And interesting, yeah. I've never told you this before, it just dawned on me. I remember giving this presentation and uh, a senior leader came to me and he said, you were very direct in that. He said, do you happen to know Liam Black? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, he mentored me. He said, oh, I said, oh okay, uh, I, thought, yes. I thought as much. But I, I think there is, a, there is something, I was reading something quite recently where lots of, uh, a commentator was saying that, you know, there, there are 
you know, everybody's got their four box matrix kind of module that they use when they're doing stuff around leadership and what have you. And a lot of it is not necessarily on the ground. It's a lot of theory and it doesn't yeah. really, it's not quite inclusive. But what's always struck me and, and, and as, a, as a way of being a disclose, honest disclosure here, I was part of the Wavelength um, uh, Connect program for the year as well. What always struck, struck me was that ability for you to be able to say, I'm going to say it as I see it, but not being afraid to walk away from some of the more challenging conversations as well. Yeah. What was that is, again, is it the background that you've had that's influenced that or is it part of your own leadership, that journey that helped to shape you being not afraid to have those honest conversations? Yeah, I think if 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 I'm uh, if I'm honest, I don't have a complete answer to that. I think in okay. some ways, you know, why why we do stuff is will be at some level unknowable to ourselves, and I think that's certainly true of me. However, I think that part of it, if I'm honest, just between you and me, mm-hmm. is I like provoking. Yeah, uh, I like the you know the not going with the consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, I like calling out sort of um, you know prevailing nostrums. Uh, and uh, and I enjoy doing that, and and I think it's uh, I think it is of worth. Maybe it's got something to do with my Catholic background. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mind you, appealing to Catholicism as a as a platform of truth, <laughs> probably uh, you, you can arrange. That's, you can a, edit whole, that that's a whole other podcast. I'm leaving that in. That's a whole other podcast. Isn't it? Um, so, um, but no, I, I have always had it. I really have always had it. You know, um, and. Um, you know, uh, uh, even at school, you know, I was myself and my best friend Murphy were the only two not made prefects in our sixth form college. Wow. <laughs> and the time that's was incredible. a bit gutted, but now I look back on uh, as a, a given it was a Christian brother's school that's now been shut down and the land sold off to pay all the sex abuse legal fees in Ireland. Okay. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fairly proud of it. But I've always had it there. Why I've got it, I, I, if I'm honest, but I think partly it's. A, a, a bit of devilment in me, as my mum would say. I like mm. I like to stir things up a little bit, but yeah. I, I, but increasingly, as I've got older in my leadership and have you know coached lots of people and mentored lots of entrepreneurs and um, and leaders, I think people are very very hungry mm. for a terrible word authenticity, honesty, saying yeah. it like it is, rather than um, you know trying to frame reality within a sort of pretend you know four box matrix as you talk about or my my latest book and its latest you know little theory um Mm -hmm. about uh leadership uh the best uh, the best leadership book i've read recently i don't know if you've read it's called leadership bs by jeffrey pfeffer from stanford absolutely fantastic um and and i think one of the reasons i like it is like he's just he just cuts through it all and just says that so much leadership development stuff is like you know it's like singing to the choir it's homilies, it's, uh, you know, uh, and it doesn't really, a lot of it connect with what real life is like yes. for real people mm. trying to make sense of the complexities, ambiguities, and fuck-ups yes. um, of trying to lead anything. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think in my, maybe in my 40s, I decided that that was, that was my brand, that was, that was me, and that's what I'd like to be known for, and to try to do it you know, honestly and uh, with integrity, but that if I had a, you know, if I was lucky enough to have a platform that people would listen to what I said and read what I wrote, mm. then it was, I was under an obligation actually to tell, tell the truth as I saw it and, um, and not run away from uh, difficult uh, conversations. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. 
think one of the, uh, just to, to refer back to the, um, well, the organizations you said you stepped down from in, in some of which is wavering, one of the things that really struck me is that although historically you had, uh, a, or for what I've known anyway, you've had a really strong um, thread of working with social enterprises and working with the community, one of the things that really struck me about Wavelength was that you were able to tap into some of the more corporate sides, so the um, Rolls Royces of the world and the Channel 4s yeah. and what have you. What is it that drove you to have that link between the corporate world and what historically was your kind of like your, your brand, as it were, the social enterprise space? Money. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, those, guys, those guys can afford to pay the big fees. Yeah. So, um, uh, well, I was sort of half joking there. We ran a cross-subsidy business model. Yeah. Uh, we, so we used to be, you know, we, we spent a year nutting through how do we actually enable leaders from the social enterprise world and the charity world and the public sector world to be in a room as equals uh, with senior leaders from, you know, the Rolls-Royce and the Waitrose and the, uh, the Jaguar Land Rovers and the BBCs of this world. Um, and we came up with a cross -sub an explicit cross-subsidy model based upon the insight, which was a, a bit of a sort of fingers crossed, let's hope we're right insight at the beginning, but I've now got 10 years of evidence for this, yeah. that the more diverse the room is, in, in every sense of that, the greater the learning that everybody has. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we were very diverse <clears throat> in terms of the sectors, um, not very diverse in terms of uh, ethnicity. Uh, you know, one of the flaws, I think, in, in, in the model was that we would, you know, sell places into the corporate world, but, you know, the corporate world at a senior level is, you know, wall-to-wall -wall white men. Um, and so, you know, we'd have a lot of lovely, but, you know, wall-to-wall -wall white men often um, in our programs. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was there was that reason about about how what good learning looks like. It happens in as diverse a group as you can um, put together. But also part of my mission and my personal reason for getting involved in Wavelength was to create a, 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 the opportunity for people from the social entrepreneur world and the nonprofit world to use that horrible phrase to get access to world class leadership, insight, and stimulus and development. The, the kind of stuff that the senior levels of the private sector take for granted yeah, yeah. because I think the truth is most of the leadership formation stuff that's available to people in the non-profit world is crap yeah. is is mediocre underpowered um, and very narrow yeah. uh, where and, and I experienced that when I was coming up you know in my sort of 20s and 30s this, you know some of the so-called training courses you go on would be, you know, would be laughable. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to um, create, if it doesn't sound too wanky, create a bit of a legacy that you, if no matter that if you come from a community organisation or a social enterprise or a charity, that you have you have as every right to expect world-class leadership, learning, stimulus, and new connectivity than if you're the a big cheese from Dyson or Jaguar Land Rover, and I, and I think. We achieved that, and our cross-subsidy model um, over those 10 years enabled hundreds of um, people from housing associations, charities, social businesses um, to take part in our programs, and I think we had a big impact on them individually yeah. and sometimes a transformational impact on the um, organizations that they ran. Yeah. So uh, it, was, it was a very deliberate attempt to create a... Uh, an environment that would be sector agnostic, 
um, and that wouldn't say that one one sector is better than another yeah. and would break out of that, you know, oh, you know, Mother Teresa on one side and Satan on the other, you know, the non-profit versus the profit yeah. uh, world, which I think is breaking down and certainly much better than it was um, 10 years ago. Because I, I just, you know, I've had a lot of experience now of working with leadership teams in, you know, massive well-known brands and sort of obscure community organizations that no one outside their housing estate has ever heard of. Yeah. And actually when you strip it all away, they're all facing the same thing. Yes. I mean, the, the, the challenges turn up looking a bit different. Yeah. You might, it might be a multi-billion pound problem you've got with Jaguar Land Rover or, you know, RBS. It might be a, you know, a multi-thousand pound problem you're dealing with your community organization, but it's still the same problems about purpose, about, the, you know, the strength and the resilience of the leaders, about knowing when to leave, about how to communicate. All of those things are shared um, no matter what your business model is. And um, that was some of the the, the sort of hopes or uh, um, ex experimental thinking that we started off Wavelength with and, and, and the 10 years has proven to me beyond doubt um, that uh, we were right about that and that you know, put, that once you get past the superficial differences, a senior leader from a manufacturing company has way more in common than a, with a, a leader from a community organisation than uh, they had the, 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 the stuff that, that um, is different between them. Yes. And, and, at, but, and at the same time, yeah. their different experiences and their different um, uh, enterprise models do enrich each other's learning. Because if you've got a journalist sitting beside an engineer, sitting beside a housing specialist, sitting beside someone who works with, you know, young people in prisons, mm -hmm. the way that they react to particular bits of stimulus or input is going to be different. Yeah, yeah. And in those different reactions, everyone learns uh, more and their learning is, is richer. Yeah. And, you know, not only have I witnessed that, but in all of the impact assessment that we've done with Wavelength over the years, that is consistently... Uh, the um, the uh, the voice that comes back from um, our alumni. It's it's interesting, and I, I I was talking to both my wife and a friend that what where my journey has taken me now, and it's very similar, is that I've had to. Um, I'm not in any capacity a train coach, but I still it's about results. You're not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you know we don't do this. You're, you're not just making this shit up as you go along, are you? Oh man, listen, I've got I've got a book coming out. Have <laughs> to be a coach without doing the bloody certification. But being in the space where I've, you know, I've had I've been really privileged because of my speaking, and because I've been able to go into banks, technology companies, and large engineering firms, and challenge people as a facilitator and as a speaker, I've realised that there's a lot of stuff again, as you said, that happens in another area of my life that I'm really passionate about, which is education. And that cross-subsidy model works as well because I will charge a larger fee to the corporate in order to be able to subsidize the schools who can't, well, in, in essence, they can't pay the actual bill. But what's actually happening now is a lot of the schools are starting to become like businesses. So there are multi-academy trusts where one group will probably run anywhere between six to 24 different schools. And what was formerly a headmaster now becomes a CEO, having to manage multiple budgets, having to deal with HR. And the same issues, forget all those technical stuff, the same issues as can you negotiate? Can you handle conflict? Can you inspire yeah. your team? Can you run a meeting? All that same stuff across the board is the same problem 
give different products and different services and people not necessarily being skilled up to how to deal with it. And so my journey is kind of in it on, a, on a lot smaller scale is having to balance the two. And one of the things I've been thinking about is how to get those two worlds together without one thinking that they're superior or inferior to, yeah. to the other. But it's quite powerful, as you mentioned, and, and, and in a way I reckon on a subconscious level, I've been thinking, oh, that's exactly how it was done with Wavelength. Um, how can we get that the same way with education and the actual business world? And the concept that I use behind it is, or the phrase or the program, whichever the title it is, I call it brave leadership. Um, and so I'm gonna kind of throw out, this is just a random question now, but what does brave leadership look like to you? I was thinking about this you know, in, 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 in preparation, and I think that uh, bravery and leadership actually is a fairly rare commodity mm. um, in my experience. I think that uh, most cultures, uh, leadership cultures, whether it's a massive multinational or it's a um, much smaller scale community organization, social business, school, whatever it might be, uh, that what is rewarded and incentivized is not bravery. Uh, what is reward incentivized is obedience, yes. um, and I see this. Uh, I see this a lot. And w one of the challenges that I think we had with uh, wavelength um, is that we would uh, bring people from uh, again. Doesn't matter what the business model is, big company or housing association or charity, whatever it was. Mm. And if you open people's eyes up to a new way of thinking about their leadership that often led them into a sort of personal crisis and often a professional crisis uh, mm. with their company uh, because they suddenly saw that actually, you know, being obedient to the prevailing nostrums is not what I want to be doing now. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, um, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's rare. Mm. Um, I'm trying to write a book at the moment um, uh, um, about uh, middle-aged men and leadership. Get in. <laughs> Get in. You know, funny that, isn't it? A, a, a thing I, I, I know about. And I, because I know loads of middle-aged blokes. I mean, look at most organizations, you know, who, who who's in charge? Yeah. Middle-aged blokes. And, and they usually, usually have a name called, they're usually called, called Dave as well, aren't they? Called Dave, yeah, yeah. So, and there's lots of them. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the sort of proposition of the book is, and this does go to your bravery point, is if it's true that business... Um, has never faced such a range of multi-layered complexity mm. as they do at the moment. Yeah. Digital accelerate, you know, uh, software um, acceleration, uh, climate change, uh, absolute lack of trust in business, not helped mm. by, you know, Carillion recently and those morons that were in charge of that um, company. Did you see them on the telly at the parliamentary committee? <laughs> When they when they asked them, "Are you sorry?" and they all looked down like they were all chewing wasps because they yeah, were just so embarrassed like, that they could answer. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's like you know, do you take responsibility to the chairman? Yes, I take responsibility, but I don't take culpability. Well, what, yeah. the, what the fuck yeah, are you yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah. Would you give what is, the money? What is responsibility for <laughs> that culpability? You cretin. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, uh, and I think that they, you know, they, they, I don't, I don't think they are um, uh, uh, unique in British business. I think there, there, there are lots of, lots of people like that running lots of um, organisations confronted by enormous change. You know, as we've said, lack of trust, digital, millennials, all, all of those sorts of things. So if it's true that business has never faced such times of change, who are the people on the front line of dealing with that change? Yeah. The group of people 
who least want to change, who are least able to change, and are least incentivized to change, middle-aged blokes like me. And so I think that what's required in, uh, in business today in order to deal with, with, with the complexity yeah. is people like me leaning out um, and making space for see what I did there. Uh, make space for um, a much more diverse um, uh, uh, group of voices and people in the room mm. because it's just the case that you know middle-aged blokes like me, we will not solve these problems, even mm. though we still bizarrely think that sitting in a room with like-minded and people who look like us talking about innovation and change is somehow going to come up with some brilliant sorts of insights. Yeah. So I think that the, 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 the demand for bravery uh, has never been higher mm. at a time when the conditions to call it forth have never been more difficult. Mm. Um, and so rare are the people that, you know, I've come across who go, wow, that's, you know, that really is ballsy. That really is courage. Um, to kind of, um, you know, at a personal level, mm. either, you know, step out and say, this isn't for me anymore, or, you know, I'm putting my flag in here, we need to change, mm. or at a more systematic um, level. Yeah. Um, and and even, even where it's fairly straightforward on the sort of digital front, you know, so, the, you know, the, there's very few businesses now that haven't said busloads of people off to Silicon Valley that aren't connected with rocket space, that don't run accelerators to attract in you know young entrepreneurs to collaborate with and change the change the culture allegedly mm. even where that's that's pretty straightforward but even that's having i think very little impact in the core cultures yeah. um, of the organizations and it's becoming a bit of a sort of you know you know a little taj mahal of innovation where you know people go and have a look at it and go oh look at that bean bags and we have a you know <laughs> we have, we have <laughs> a table, table yeah. in, our, in our accelerator <laughs> Mm. and let's take some pictures and tweet and aren't we being innovative well actually nothing really at the core um, is changing because mm. in order for that change to happen some really profound questions need to be asked about the way in which we organize business and how leadership behaves mm. rewards itself and incentivizes itself to actually bring about the change which everyone um, agrees um, has to happen so um, I don't. I don't see a lot of it. I mean, you know, I could name some people. I think Emmanuel Faber at Danon is mm. is brave. I think you know what he's taken on. Obviously, Paul Pullman, uh, I think, has you know um, uh, walked into territory where he's you know fired at um, from uh, all sides. Um, Sue Campbell, who was the chair of uh, UK Sport, who now runs women's football. Yeah. Again, really impressed with um, her, and she would never call it bravery, just she'd call it, you know, just being me and being Northern. <laughs> yes, but yes. Um, I think, uh, <coughs> you know, I, I've seen their real sort of courage in taking on, mm. you know, the, the existing culture, taking on what's regarded as common sense, taking on what's, what is the prevailing nostrums uh, within the culture mm. and saying, this has to change. Yeah. And that change begins with me as a leader. So watch me, follow me. And if you don't want to follow me, then there's the door and on your way. Wow. Um, and that takes, you know, a, a, but there are a few who do it. There yes. are a few who do it, if I'm honest. And also in the uh, not-for-profit world as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, we're having this conversation in the, uh, the day after the Deputy Chief Executive of Oxfam has resigned, yeah. given 
yeah. you know, what's coming out there. And it, there seems to be, there seems to be uh, a sort of emerging uh, culture of not grasping, you know, uh, by the throat some of the cultural uh, failings that have gone on inside that yeah. organization. So it's not unique to any sector, um, yes. uh, I, I don't think. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about our leadership culture that seems to drain courage and bravery from people mm. the mm. further up the, the up the ladder they go. Now, some of it must be, you know, the more money you're on and the more status you have, you know, uh, and the more, the, the, the bigger the platform you've created for yourself, the more difficult it is for you to challenge that and question the assumptions upon which you've risen to the top. Mm. That, that might be um, uh, part of it. But, you know, I think that... Um, uh, we live in a time that, that it requires bravery, and, and, and I, I have to say I don't see as much of it as I want. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's interesting, as you said. You Is know, that too it, pessimistic? No, no, no. It's pragmatic, okay, because it's real, pragmatic. I think. Uh, yeah, and, um, and, and I guess, as you said, taken into consideration not only, well, taking Oxfam, there was something like 120 cases of sexual assault by members of charities across the board in UK in the last year. Um, and then, if we bang, uh, if we add to that the fallout last year of all that's been happening in tech, um, the, yeah. the, the the most seen as the most powerful leader of the most powerful nation in the world, um, you see it across entertainment with the Me Too and all the rest of that's happened. It's it's almost like something's happening to. I'm not going to use the word disrupt. I promise myself. <laughs> yeah, Something. Yeah. Something. I've got my- Bingo card. <laughs> Leadership bingo. Something's happening I think here. I've said authentic three times, so that's know. all right. We can work with that. Yeah. But being able to um, to recognise that something's happened, but maybe, and again, you kind of alluded to the point. Maybe those who are incumbent aren't the ones to make the change. I don't think so, and you know, and I think it's uh, you know, and we're not talking about women overwhelmingly here, are we? We're talking about men. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, we need to take a bloody good, long, hard look at ourselves. Mm. And I think that um, if, if, if there's any organization or any individual leader who's not in the light of all you've talked about there and the shit role mo- leadership role models that yeah. are coming to light from the White House to you know, Hollywood mm. to now you know, up the road here in uh, in Oxford with um, uh, Oxfam, if people aren't really having a serious word with themselves about the styles of leadership that we have in our organisations and how male-dominated they are and middle-aged men and white middle-aged men dominated they are, mm-hmm. uh, then we're missing the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that if it doesn't sound too too grand a sort of mission, and, and you know, I think that for me now in my sort of late 50s going into my 60s, I want to more and more call that out, yeah. you know, and, you know, not, and, and I think that, you know, I think obviously there are plenty of assholes out there like yeah. Weinstein and this bastard in Haiti who was um, uh, exploiting um, uh, young women. But I think that most of the men that I see in senior leadership positions aren't bad people. They're good people. Yeah. They're good people, but they are, you know, their formation, the way they're incentivized, you know, the culture that is around them, um, you know, requires a level of courage and bravery, you know, to your point, um, which is unusual in people most of the time. So I think that, you know, uh, one of the conversations I want to be having is, well, how do we break that? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we say to, um, you know, middle-aged blokes like me, 
you have many gifts. You've got great experience. You know, you know how business works. Mm-hmm. You have great networks. How do we make sure that those things become real catalysts for changing the cultures of our um, uh, our organizations yeah. rather than sort of, you know, legacy things that we polish, you know, while we wait to be able to exit and take our pension and, you know, and our share options. Because yeah. I think that the, the positive spin on this that I want to put is that, you know, in our 50s, where you don't have to prove anything anymore. I don't feel any, dep- I did in my 20s and 30s, I don't, I don't anymore. If you don't like me, fuck off. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, you know, want to take part with me, great, go and do something else. You know, kind of, who cares, really? We don't need to do do that. But why don't we make our 50s the time where we really reinvent ourselves Mm. and and see it as a time of great creativity and renewal that in in the doing of that will uh, create the space that uh, around which it can become younger, blacker, Mm. more female, more dynamic, more Mm. innovative. And out of that is going to come the new ideas and the genuine creativity and innovation that will deal with some of these um, issues. So, you know, we need to lean out. We don't need to disappear. But I certainly think we need to move to one side uh, uh, as creatively as we can. And I think that's maybe the act of, if it doesn't sound too pat, I think that maybe is the bravery that's required of my generation of um, uh, leadership, not to just keep our heads down, say that, you know, mouth the right things, go on the diversity training, you know, uh, acknowledge we have unconscious biases uh, and do bugger all about it and then bugger off with the pension. So that's what I'm doing. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit encouraged. I'm, there's some people I coach um, who are senior people, and that's what we're talking about is yeah. how, 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 what does your leadership look like now? Yeah. And how do we make the, you know, the final years of your full-time corporate life, mm. something that is genuinely empowering, yeah. i.e. giving power to other people um, uh, rather than just, you know, dance around the handbags until you leave. Yes. Yeah. I- ironically, the, the, the speech I was talking about, the room full of white men, the couple of guys, when they saw it, they were like a bit taken back. Well, I'm not quite sure about that title. Can, uh, can we change it? And I was like, no, I'm keeping it the same. Um, because that the, the full, how I become full circle is saying, look, in, and, and it aligns with what you're saying is no one's actually looking for white guilt. And I think yeah. sometimes people feel that's what it is. I say, you know, personally, the only time I want white guilt is when I'm applying for a mortgage and then that's good, you know, otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, if you're, if you are the individuals that are in the position of power, there isn't going to be some kind of mini revolution that's going to, you know, change the world. The people who are in the position of power just need to be able to take a step back and think, how can I change it? What's the kind of legacy that I can leave? So while you're still in the position of power, be open enough to have a frank conversation to see the world slightly differently. And it means in controlling that conversation that yes, there are going to be radical elements who want stuff to change in leadership overnight, but that's not going to work. This is a a change of, you know, this is years and years of legacy. This is about how can we build this stuff together? And so I really appreciate your, um, your take on how, what that brave leadership looks like, because I know, again, as I said, I I can walk into those buildings and I can say, if I'm quite frank, if um, I can say what I want and how I see it, but coming from somebody like you, who will be an experienced male white leader, it will have that much more of an impact, even if it's on an on unconscious or subconscious level. Yeah. Um, 
and that validates being able to have that open conversation. Well, I, I think I think it's 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 both and, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think that um, you know you know the, the provocation of you know the the only black in the room yeah. saying yes. calling it out. Yeah, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think also uh, uh, um, maybe maybe as important uh, is you know sort of when the doors closed, you know, someone who has the respect of the room going look guys we really need to change don't we yes and and, and not and, and and here's the opportunity that there is yeah there is the it is a way more interesting and exciting to engage with difference yes. and allow that in it's way more exciting than sitting around with, you know a lot of old bloody old middle-aged men like us you know moaning about our fucking yeah. prostates and you know how, how we don't understand the world anymore how boring is that well, let's talk about you know what it might look like mm. if we use the networks we have the talent we have the business insight we have uh in order to make this place look a bit different so we can respond to the changes and we can in the doing of that make this company um, more responsive, more profitable, uh, and more exciting place to be to attract in more people who don't look like us, who will have a lot better uh, and different answers than the ones that we've brought to this company for the last 20 years. Yeah. So I, I, I think I think it's both. There has to be people, I think, inside the castle as well as those from outside the castle, as it were, you know, banging on the door, banging on the drawbridge. But it it, it will take time, and yes. you know, the incentivizing structure you know, is, uh, is very strong, mm. you know, and we can bang on all we like about, you know, diversity and creativity and innovation. What is rewarded? Yeah. As a P&L, yeah. cost yeah. saving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next quarter's earnings. Those mm. are the things that are um, rewarded. And I think that, um, you know, there has to be a real, um, and there are some signs, there's some signs that it's changing. You know, people got very excited about, you um, the BlackRock CEO recently, didn't they? Is it Fink with his uh, rather watery? Yes. Um, we both invested in you on this. What about a bit of purpose? Yeah, well, hey, yeah, yeah. Fink, what about a bit of bloody detail? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But you know, mm. you know, it's start. Gonna, it's, start. Yeah, it's start, start. You know, and the reality is mm. that uh, things like climate change will force regulation that is going to force businesses to change. Yes. I think that uh, um, you know there are already fairly credible voices in America, for example, starting to talk about regulation of the big four tech industries. That you know, how is Google not a utility now? Mm. You know, couldn't be having this conversation now in the way that we are with this technology. And thank God for it, without electricity or Google. So how come is one a utility and one isn't? I, you know, I think that yeah. will be needed yeah. to look at. So one of the things I say to the people I coach and the people I um, talk to and I've worked with at Wavelength and, uh, and beyond is, look, you know, whether you like it or not, there are some fairly seismic changes going on in business and in yeah. the world. Why don't you get ahead of that? Mm. You know, because that's going to be more engaging, more exciting, and yeah, more risky, but come on, you know. Yeah. You know, you know and I, think, I think the other thing that I spend a lot of time talking to, this does go to think about incentivization, is I spoke at a... A big conference in a literally in a palace. Wow! Uh, have you ever? You must have done this. You've flown off to some fancy place. You pay you a fortune, 
to talk about innovation in, you know, the most luxurious. <laughs> Uninnovative venue. <laughs> how, how, how can we be more innovative and lean? We'll stop spending $500,000 on this fucking exactly. palette. That's thing. <laughs> Obviously, me, but, you know. Um, and um, I, this is where my, this kind of lean out idea began to come from, um, was uh, they had one of those sessions, I'm sure you've been involved in, where they go, so, nothing's taboo. <laughs> and of course you think what they really mean is for Christ's sake don't mention X, Y and Z yeah, yeah. and in the nothing is taboo session the question was so if you were CEO what would your first act be and uh, I can't remember what the other two people said pretty boring I think so it came to me I stood up and I sort of straightened my shirt and I said hello I'm, I'm your CEO this is the top 200 of a, a global FMCG business yeah. I'm your new CEO. Stand up if you're over 50. And uh, a lot of the rooms stood up. So I said, you're sacked. Thank you. And I sat down. <laughs> and that, you must have had this. Or, you know, uh, you're, you're a much better trained speaker than me. But you must have anyway, that sort of tumbleweed moment where you think, yes. shit, maybe I've gone a little bit too far here. <laughs> this in a very embarrassing way. And they won't pay me. Mm. Uh, but luckily, someone stood up at the back, uh, an Irish guy, actually. and he said, I know, I know what you're getting at. You want to talk about the fact that, you know, we're old and set in our ways. And I went, yeah, I do. And so he started, and in the course of what he was talking about, he talked about the golden cage of corporate life, mm. that you're, you're well-paid, your kids are probably in private school, you might be on your second marriage, uh, you might, you know, you, uh, all of that. So there's, there's a lot of financial demands on you. And you come to believe that the only life you can have is contingent on you earning, you know, a quarter of a million pound plus yeah, with yeah. A, a massive pension and that you can't leave this cage. And he said something that I thought was really first class. You know, he said, what I've come to see is actually I put myself in that cage and the cage isn't actually locked. Mm. All I have to do is push it and, uh, and walk out, you know. And I think that's, um, you know, I think, there's, I think there's a lot of truth yes, um, in that um, uh, insight as well that, you know, I mean, at the risk of d diving into bullshit bingo here, I think often the, you know, the biggest um, uh, breaks we put that are put on ourselves are the ones that we create ourselves, aren't yes. they? Yeah, the, the limitations that we bring are the ones that, you know, in our, in our mind. And in this book I'm trying to write in the moment, you know, the counter to the you know the message to people in the golden cage is come out of that golden cage and life can be really exciting yes. and you don't even have to leave the company you know you can do do something else there was a guy actually um in one of the companies that we've talked about here who as a result of his um experience with us decided he was going to leave the company uh, because he he had come into this company it was his engineering business as an engineer and just loved you know, being up to his armpits in oil and inventing new things and hearing engines roar and all of that. He, he realized that at 50, he was now in charge of 20,000 people or something and, you know, never even smell oil, let alone, you know, um, got dirty with it. So he went back. To, so he decided that he was going to leave. And um, in fact, it was someone on the program from another industry who said to him, why don't you go back to the company and not leave, but say, I want to renegotiate what I do here, yeah, you know, I said it's a very good way of finding out how valuable they think you are. And luckily they did. And he went back 
much closer, and he got a new job and went back to another division within the business, much closer to what his passion yeah. was. And I think that I think that the way we do leadership often in business is you get further and further away from what you really love doing, mm. and you end up doing you know glorified admin work and yeah. going to lots of meetings. Yes. And you know why don't people just say, look? you know, let me, I still like this company. I still like the people I work with, but let's, let's have a reset and let's see if there's something else I could do to add value in the company that excites me and, um, uh, you know, and takes things forward rather than just sitting here shuffling papers and going to meetings and, um, you know, waiting for the retirement check. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. Liam. And I just want to make sure before we finish that you tell us what you are up to next. So with, as we please, I'm sure I got that name. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's. Uh, lo- I love my audience to know what you are up to next. I know you're still doing a little bit of work with um, Wavelength, but what are you up to? I, um, other. Actually, talk about the grandparents thing as well. It's fine. We can. I can edit out whatever we need to. But just tell me what you. <laughs> tell me what you are. Tell me what you are up to I'll next. Show you some stuff I'm knitting. Oh no, I'll, I'll do that afterwards. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, as as it says on the tin, uh, you know, this little company I've created is called As We Please. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm 57 now, and for at least the next five years, I just want to do stuff I want to do. And the little strap line that I've come up for my new little business is doing interesting and useful work in the world with people I like and respect. Okay. So that's what I want to do. And the way that's showing itself is I'm continuing to be an associate of um, Wavelength, which is fabulous, and I continue to collaborate um, with my erstwhile business partners for as long as you know, they want this old geezer hanging around. Yeah. I'm still very involved in my impact investing work. Um, uh, I've continued to, to do that. I want to expand my um, uh, coaching and mentoring and advisory activity. I love doing that. I, you know, I know you do too. It's an yeah. incredibly rewarding um, uh, thing and sometimes for the people we mentor as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm actually, you know, this, this, you know, maybe your audience can help me with this. I'm, I, I, th- I thought that... Um, coming out of Wavelength, I would look for some non-exec directorships. But I've actually decided not to do that. Okay. Uh, I don't think I'm a natural Ned, you know, mm-hmm. kind of sit there, just there to mitigate risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am looking to chair, to find a, an interesting company mm-hmm. uh, that's growing, uh, where maybe the founders could do with a sort of bit of a grey beard with a bit of life left in him to kind of, you know, manage the, the, the board, but also be available to them to sort of coach and mentor and help take them forward. So I'm on the lookout um, okay. uh, for that. Yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm trying to do in my life, um, Dave, is you know continue to enjoy it, continue to add value uh, uh, where I can, and to remove as much bullshit nonsense from it as I um, am, is humanly possible. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, it's a real pleasure. Good to talk. I'm sure Thanks. when we finish this call, we will, we will arrange our, our, our food up because I know I've got to take you out for a meal and buy, <laughs> buy some food. Um, Do, yes. I, know, I know you're getting older. So no, there's no such thing as a free podcast. <laughs> I like that there isn't. But absolutely fantastic. And what I will do is I'll make sure for the listeners that I'll put the links in the notes of things like Wavelength and yeah. Um, put your LinkedIn bio in there as well for those um, organizations that might be looking out for a decent chair as well. Yeah. Um, so fantastic. Thank you very much, Liam. Um, pleasure. Real, real pleasure. And um, as I said, I look forward to uh, the feedback that we will get from this very exciting episode. So thank you so much and take care. Pleasure.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I really, really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So please, whatever platform you have, go ahead and share or comment and rate. And I'm going to make sure that there will be notes with links to this at the bottom of the show. I appreciate both your time to listen and your feedback and look forward to having you tune into the next episode of The David McQueen Show. Thank you.